This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode 121, entitled, The Origins of the Word Becoming Flesh, from John 1.14. As always, the Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Hopefully our podcast and its contents have helped you to have those very important conversations with your friends and family. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Dustin Smith. As always, I will be your host. I'd like to invite you to consider offering a donation to the podcast in order to keep it on the air and on the internet. You can check out the episode description for a PayPal link. If you're unable to do that and you'd still like to support the podcast, you may write a review on iTunes and share it with your friends. And I appreciate everybody so much for supporting the podcast now in its third year. This episode will begin to look closely at John chapter 1, verse 14, where the personified speech of God becomes flesh and it pitches its tent among us. In particular, we are going to examine the origins of the word becoming flesh within its Jewish context. This hardly gets done in teachings on John 1.14, and unfortunately, many biblical Unitarians are guilty of ignoring the Jewish context of this passage. Did Judaism have a concept of God's personified attributes becoming human? And if so, what did this mean in regard to understanding correctly the meaning of God's attributes? Does portraying human beings as the embodiment or incarnation of God's attributes indicate that these human beings consciously preexisted their births? And how can depictions of wisdom becoming flesh situate our reading of John 1.14 within its Jewish context. Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at the Word becoming flesh in John 1.14. So I thought it would be best before we break this passage apart in a small mini-series of episodes to read it in its entirety. John 1.14 says, in most translations, quote, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the unique one from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's John chapter 1, verse 14. Now, it is often suggested that the depiction of God's word becoming flesh, or an attribute of God becoming flesh, is nowhere to be found in Judaism. I read a commentary this week that was published in the last 10 years, a commentary on the Gospel of John, that made this particular assertion. I think this assertion is misfounded. I think there is a lot of evidence to demonstrate that God's attributes 
are regularly personified and those personifications of God's attributes were depicted as embodied or incarnate into actual human beings, both men and women. And I think this can be demonstrated in a clear line of succession and influence going all the way down to John's Gospel, having existed within Judaism for hundreds of years prior to the writing of the fourth Gospel. That's the kind of evidence we're going to look at in this week's episode. We have to remember that in the prologue of John, the Word, which is a personification of God's speech, was understood as a synonym for God's wisdom. Remember, God's wisdom was regularly personified as the personification of God's wise interaction with and his instruction to his good creation. So wisdom as a personification, by the time of the writing of the fourth gospel, was understood as a synonym for the personified word. And I've demonstrated in these last few episodes that when the prologue of the Gospel of John depicts the word as a personification, it draws upon and is heavily influenced by depictions in Judaism of God's personified wisdom. In fact, this particular point, that the prologue is primarily portraying God's word in terms of Jewish wisdom speculation, is the overwhelming consensus of modern scholars on the Gospel of John, whether they be conservative or liberal, whether they're mainline, whether they're Protestant, that is the overwhelming consensus of what experts are saying right now, regardless of wherever they stand in their theological spectrum. So, if the Gospel of John is portraying the Word in terms of God's wisdom, and if we're seeing in John 1.14 that the Word became flesh, I would like to know where, if possible, can we find evidence of God's wisdom becoming flesh. That is, God's personified, wise interaction is this depicted within Judaism as becoming flesh. And we're going to see today that the answer is overwhelmingly yes. God's wisdom was personified, and in those very works that personified God's wisdom as a personification, we will see that God's wisdom is portrayed as becoming embodied or becoming incarnate into actual human beings, both men and women. So this will lead us to our second point. Our second point today is wisdom becoming flesh in Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is the most important starting point for trying to discern what God's personified wisdom looks like and how it is possible for personifications of God to be portrayed within Jewish poetry as becoming incarnate or becoming embodied into human beings. Let's talk a little bit about the book of Proverbs. It was probably assembled over a long period of time, but probably reached its final form in the Persian period. Persian period. So we're thinking between the 6th century BC and the 4th century BC during the Persian period. And the structure of the book of Proverbs involves 
31 chapters, but the first nine chapters depict God's wisdom as a personification, and this personification is portrayed as a female figure. And every single Proverbs commentator that I've read that has published over the last 40 years agrees that this personified lady wisdom is not an actual female person alongside God in heaven. I don't think that there's any reputable scholar that would make that sort of misunderstood assumption. Wisdom is a personification in the book of Proverbs, and the first nine chapters introduce this wisdom as a personified female figure. Now, the last chapter, chapter 31, has a very important section that describes the woman of substance. This is in chapter 31, verses 10 through 31. And as we're going to demonstrate today, this woman of substance is portrayed with about a dozen different colorful descriptions that were formerly used of Lady Wisdom in the first nine chapters. And so what we see is that the book of Proverbs begins with the portrayal of Lady Wisdom, and it ends with the portrayal of Lady Wisdom actually in human form. In fact, the woman of substance in chapter 31, verses 10 through 31, describes, as it's been unearthed by historians and sociologists, as a depiction of what actual Persian women look like during the Persian period. And so we see that the theology of the book of Proverbs is bookend with portrayals of God's wisdom. First nine chapters depicting Lady Wisdom and the last chapter depicting Lady Wisdom embodied into actual Persian women. And so we could see how the depictions of Lady Wisdom are reused later in chapter 31 to describe this woman of substance in a variety of points. I'm just going to go through these fairly quickly. If you would like to take notes or have these references for yourself, I would encourage you to look at the notes that are associated with this particular podcast. So you can check out those notes in the description of the podcast. The first thing that we note is that God's personified wisdom is described as more valuable than jewels. We could see this in chapter 3, verse 15. And the woman of substance, who is the embodiment of wisdom, is also described as being worth more than jewels in chapter 31, verse 10. Uh, Lady Wisdom provides discernment for what is good in chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. And the woman of substance provides discernment for what is good in chapter 31, verse 12. Lady Wisdom hates evil in chapter 8, verse 13, and the woman of substance also hates evil in 31, verse 12. Lady Wisdom is the most delightful pursuit in chapter 3, verse 15, and the same thing is said of the woman of substance in 31, verse 13. And I'm just going to quickly rattle off the rest of these so that we're not spending so much time on them. Lady Wisdom has a prophet that is greater than silver, describing herself as a merchant. The merchant and the prophet are similar Hebrew words. So she says that about herself in chapter 3 and verse 14. And the woman of substance is described as a profiting merchant in 31.14. 
Uh, Lady Wisdom provides food and provision in chapter 9, verse 5. The same is said of the woman of substance in 31.14. Lady Wisdom is in charge of her household in chapter 9, verse 1. CF also 31.15. Lady Wisdom invests in young maidens in chapter 9, verse 3. The same thing is said of the woman of substance in 31.15. Lady Wisdom brings in valuable fruit and profit. She speaks publicly at the gates. She laughs and rejoices. And... She keeps watch over her household. All of these points are made also of the woman of substance in chapter 31. I like this one in particular in 31 verse 27 where it describes this woman of substance as keeping watch over her household. And this verb to keep watch in Hebrew is the verb Sophia, which is a bilingual pun because the Greek noun for wisdom is Sophia. So it's very interesting that this book is already trying to portray, as best as it can, the woman of substance, which are actual female women in the Persian period that were considered desirable to men as the implied readers of the book of Proverbs. These women are portrayed as the embodiment of Lady Wisdom, as she is portrayed in the first nine chapters. And we have to remember that the book of Proverbs is not just simply personifying God's wisdom, God's wise interaction with the world. God's wisdom in the book of Proverbs is the instrument through which, or if we press the personification, we could say the instrument through whom Yahweh created the heavens and the earth. Consider Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 19, which says that Yahweh, by wisdom, founded the earth. Proverbs 3.19, to where Yahweh is the creator, and he creates the earth by using the instrument of his wisdom. Wisdom is not the creator. Wisdom is the instrument that the creator God uses. And so what we can see in the book of Proverbs is wisdom is a personification Wisdom is personified as a female. Wisdom is the instrument through whom God creates the heavens and the earth. And most importantly, this portrayal of God's personified wisdom is also depicted as embodied or incarnate into actual human beings. Specifically in Proverbs, it is actual females within the Persian period. And so we could say that wisdom became flesh in Proverbs chapter 31. And, of course, if it's written in the Persian period, then this predates the Gospel of John by arguably 500 years. This theology had been around for hundreds of years before the Gospel of John was even written. Let's move on to our next Jewish text. Our third point today is wisdom becoming flesh in the intertestamental book of Sirach. Okay, Sirach is one of these intertestamental books that was included into the Septuagint, the Greek collection of Jewish scriptures. In fact, in the New Revised Standard version of the Bible, you can find this book already there. And it is a book that is widely respected by many Jews and it was widely respected by early Christians in the first century. I've demonstrated before that it's very likely that the Gospel of John has been deeply influenced by 
Sirach's depiction of Lady Wisdom. Sirach was written around the year 180 BC, so we're talking over 200 years before the Gospel of John, and it's very clear that the writer of Sirach was deeply influenced by the book of Proverbs. That's very important for our study. We're not just seeing that Sirach is an independent work from Proverbs. Sirach read the book of Proverbs, was deeply influenced by the book of Proverbs, and we're going to see that it was Proverbs' portrayal of God's wisdom as a personified female figure that could become embodied into actual human beings. This particular belief in theology was very convincing to the writer of Sirach. We're going to focus on two particular chapters in Sirach. Sirach is 51 chapters long, but the important chapters for our study today are chapters 24 and chapters 50. 24 and 50. I'm going to read a few passages out of chapter 24 just to give us a sense as to how Sirach understood wisdom as a female personification of God's wisdom. So let's look here. Sirach chapter 24. I'm going to read the first 22 verses as it is printed in the NRSV. And I want you to just kind of to listen here and to see and feel the poetry of wisdom, which is coming from the Greek noun Sophia, which is a feminine noun, and so it gets personified as a female figure. Just listen to this poetry and just really try to grasp at how these writers were able to take this concept drawing from Proverbs and really work the poetry in a manner as we can see in this passage. So, Sirach chapter 24, starting in verse 1. Wisdom praises herself and tells of her glory in the midst of her people. In the assembly of the Most High, she opens her mouth. And in the presence of his host, she tells of her glory. I came forth from the mouth of the Most High and covered the earth like a mist. I dwelt in the highest heavens and my throne was in a pillar of cloud. Alone, I compassed the vault of heaven and traversed the depths of the abyss, over waves of the sea, over all the earth, and over every people and nation I have held sway. Among all these, I sought a resting place. In whose territory should I abide? Then the creator of all things gave me a command, and my Creator chose the place for my tent. He said, Make your dwelling in Jacob, and in Israel receive your inheritance. Before the ages, in the beginning, He created me. And for all the ages, I shall not cease to be. In the holy tent, I ministered before Him. And so, I was established in Zion. Thus, in the beloved city, he gave me a resting place, and in Jerusalem was my domain. I took root in an honored people, in the portion of the Lord, his heritage. I grew tall, like a cedar in Lebanon, and like a cypress in the heights of Hermon. I grew tall like a palm tree in Engedi, and like rose bushes in Jericho, like a fair olive tree in in the field, and like 
a plane tree beside water, I grew tall. Like cassia and camel's thorn, I gave forth perfume. And like choice myrrh, I spread my fragrance. Like galbanum, onica, and stache, and like the odor of incense in the tent. Like a terebinth, I spread out my branches, and my branches are glorious and graceful. Like the vine, I bud forth the lights, and my blossoms became glorious and abundant fruit. Come to me, you who desire me, and eat your fill of my fruits. For the memory of me is sweeter than honey, and the possession of me sweeter than the honeycomb. Those who eat of me will hunger no more, and those who drink of me will thirst for more. Whoever obeys me will not be put to shame, and those who work with me will not sin. That is Sirach chapter 24, verses 1 through 22 in the New Revised Standard Version. We can see in that passage much of what we can see in the book of Proverbs, wherein God's wisdom is personified as a female figure, and especially in Proverbs chapter 8, this personification can actually speak for herself. It's very clear that this personified lady wisdom is not identified with the Creator. She actually distinguishes herself. She is not the Most High. The Most High created her. It's also important to note here in Sirach 24, that God's wisdom was sent to dwell among God's people. In fact, she made her tent among God's people. And that's very important because John 1.14 says that the Word became flesh and pitched its tent among us. And it's very clear that John 1.14 is portraying God's word, just like we see here in Sirach chapter 24, to where God's wisdom, God's personified attribute, pitches her tent among God's people. And of course, wisdom, while she's on earth, is inviting people to take of her, to desire her, to eat of her fruits, to eat of her, and to drink of her, and to honor her. But she is described in this glorious poetry as something that is very valuable. She is something that is worthy. She is something that is exuberant. She is something that people should want to desire. And that is something that Sirach hopes that its readers will take very seriously. So we can see here in Sirach that wisdom as a personification is highly poetic. But the important thing for us is to see how Sirach is going to take this heavy personification of God's wisdom and apply it to the life of a human being. Because that's exactly what takes place in chapter 50 of Sirach. Just as we saw in the book of Proverbs, to where depictions of God's personified wisdom were embodied and incarnate into actual human beings, we can now see in the book of Sirach that the depiction of Lady Wisdom in chapter 24 is becoming embodied and incarnate into an actual human being in Sirach chapter 50. In Sirach 50, we don't have hypothetical 
Jewish women in the Persian period, we have an actual human being that we know from history who was a very famous person. He was the high priest, probably the most important person within Judaism in his particular time. And this was the high priest named Simon. Simon functioned as the high priest, and he lived from the late 3rd century B.C. to the beginning of the 2nd century B.C. It's an actual figure from history, Simon the high priest. And there are eight particular points in Sirach chapter 50 to where Simon is described with the very same words in Greek that were used of Lady Wisdom in chapter 24. I'm just going to go down them briefly, and if you want to check them out and write them down for your notes, uh, be sure to look at the document that's attached to this podcast. So we can see that in Sirach chapter 50, Simon the high priest is the subject of glory, just as Lady Wisdom is the subject of glory. Simon the high priest was actually glorified, surrounded by people, just as Lady Wisdom is glorified and surrounded by people. Simon is likened unto a rosebush, just as Lady Wisdom grew tall like a rosebush. The high priest is likened unto incense, just as Lady Wisdom was likened unto the odor of incense. Simon is likened unto an olive tree, just like Lady Wisdom was growing tall like an olive tree. Simon is like a cypress, just like Lady Wisdom was growing tall like a cypress. Simon, the high priest, was likened unto a young cedar in Lebanon, just as Lady Wisdom was like a young cedar in Lebanon. Those are very specific points. And lastly, Simon's offering as the high priest makes a pleasing fragrance, just like Lady Wisdom was one who spreads a nice fragrance. And so those are some very specific connections using some very rare words in Greek to paint and portray in the argument of the writer of Sirach, Simon the high priest as a great high priest. And the writer does it by taking these glorified descriptions of God's personified wisdom and embodying them into this actual human being who is Simon. Now it's important to know that Simon is not depicted in the book of Sirach as pre-existing his birth as a conscious being. Simon is portrayed as wisdom. Wisdom, the personification, became embodied into this actual human being. But the book of Sirach is not trying to argue that Simon the high priest consciously pre-existed his human birth as a divine being alongside God. The book of Sirach doesn't make that argument. It's saying that the high priest is the embodiment of God's wisdom, thus making the high priest a very important person. He is the human epitome of God's wise interaction with the world. That's how Sirach wants you to understand this important human being. So Sirach is going to portray Simon in terms of Lady Wisdom. Wisdom, like we saw in the book of Proverbs, was personified as a woman very thoroughly, but... Simon did not consciously pre-exist his birth. Let's move on to our fourth point, which is wisdom becoming flesh in the works of Philo. Philo is the Greek-speaking Jewish philosopher 
that was a prolific writer at the beginning of the first century. The combined literary works of Philo are larger than the combined literary works of the New Testament. That's how prolific of a writer that Philo Judaeus was at the beginning of the first century. Philo has some interesting things to say about wisdom, and Philo demonstrates for us that what we saw in the earliest depictions of personified wisdom in the book of Proverbs are alive and well in the first century. So this is what Philo says about God creating through wisdom. Philo says in his work called On Flight and Finding, chapter 1, verse 109, quote, God being his father, who is also the father of all things, and wisdom being his mother, through whom the universe was created. Philo just said there that God is the father, and God created the universe through wisdom. And he described wisdom as a female figure, as a mother figure. That's exactly what we saw in Proverbs 3.19, to where God created the heavens and the earth through his wisdom. And wisdom in Proverbs is personified as a female figure. So we can see that in the first century, this understanding is quite alive and well. And in fact, Philo has a similar statement about this in another one of his works, which is called, The Worse is Want to Attack the Better. But there's no point in reduplicating that particular quote. The point is, Philo believes that God the Father is the sole creator, and God created all things through his wisdom, and this wisdom is still personified as a female figure. Now, it's interesting because Philo is going to, in three of his other works, depict this personified wisdom as having become human into an actual human being. And specifically, Philo has a very particular human being in mind, and it is Sarah. Sarah being the wife of Abraham, who is the most important patriarch in the history of Israel. And so for Philo, it seems that Sarah is a very appropriate person to embody and incarnate God's personified wisdom. And the way that Philo is going to describe Sarah, it's almost as if Sarah is wisdom, and wisdom is Sarah, and Sarah continues to function as wisdom. And Philo is able to interchange wisdom and Sarah so casually as if Philo just assumes that Sarah is the embodiment of wisdom, and wisdom continues to function as the embodiment ultimately, of this personification while functioning as Sarah the human being. Let's look at a couple of these passages. This is from Philo's work, The Worse is Want to Attack the Better, chapter 1, verse 124. Philo says, For if Isaac being interpreted means laughter, and if it be God who is the cause of laughter, according to the true testimony of Sarah, then he may be most properly said to be the father of Isaac. And he also gives a share to Abraham of his own proper appellation, to whom, when he eradicated pain from wisdom, he gave rejoicing as an offspring. And again, that is Philo's 
work called The Worst is Want to Attack, the better chapter 1, verse 124. But in that passage, it talks about God eradicating the pain from wisdom. But wisdom in the context here is Sarah, who had the pain of childbirth taken away from her when she had her offspring, Isaac. But what Philo does is that he says that God eradicated the pain from wisdom when the reality is that we know from the book of Genesis that God eradicated the pain from Sarah. Philo flat out calls Sarah wisdom here and just uses those terms as interchangeable terms. For Philo, Sarah is the incarnation of wisdom. Philo does this in another passage in his document on allegorical words, chapter 2, verse 82, where Philo says, quote, Do you not see that wisdom, when dominant, which is Sarah, says, For whoever shall hear it shall rejoice with me. End quote. In this passage, Philo says, Dominant wisdom is Sarah. And in fact, in the Greek text, if you just take the Greek and you just translate it straight across, the verb to be is not even there. You just have the dominant wisdom, Sarah, says, whosoever shall hear it shall rejoice with me. So there again is a place where Philo describes Sarah as being wisdom. And the understanding there is that it's this personified attribute through which God created the world has now become embodied into an actual female person. One last passage where we can see this exhibited in the theology of Philo on his work on mating with the preliminary studies, chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. It says, For Sarah, says Moses, said unto Abraham, Behold, the Lord has closed me up so that I may not bear children. Go in unto my handmaiden, that thou mayest have children by her. Now, we must take out the present discussion, those conjunctions and connections of body with body, which have pleasure for their end, for this is the connection of the mind with virtue, which is desirous to have children by her, and which, if it cannot do so at once, is at all events taught to espouse her handmaid, namely, intermediate instruction. And here, it is worthwhile to admire wisdom. End quote. And what Philo is doing here is he's talking about Sarah making this comment, quoted there in Genesis. But Philo says it is worthwhile to admire wisdom. But he's talking about Sarah. He calls Sarah, wisdom. Wisdom is just the name of Sarah as the embodiment of God's wise personification. So there's three places there that scholars of Philo have determined that Sarah, the wife of Abraham, is depicted as the incarnation of God's wisdom. So what do we know from Philo, which wrote in the first century? We see that Lady Wisdom is likened unto a woman. God created the world through the instrument of his personified Lady Wisdom, and Lady Wisdom is identified with Sarah. For Philo, the Jew, 
God's personified wisdom became embodied in Sarah. Philo could have very easily said, and wisdom became flesh in Sarah. So, in conclusion, we have observed that the prologue of the Gospel of John continues to show evidence of having been deeply influenced by Jewish wisdom speculation. Specifically, Jewish portrayals of God's wisdom as a personified attribute. We noted that the prologue portrays God's personified wisdom as becoming a human being, becoming the fleshly man Jesus. Having observed throughout the prologue that the word sounds a lot like what previous Jewish sources said about God's wisdom, we felt that it was worth exploring how the phrase, the word became flesh, might have been understood by those familiar with the relevant Jewish wisdom text. Second, we observed that the book of Proverbs portrays God's wisdom as a personification that became flesh in Jewish women of the Persian period. This same personified wisdom was depicted in Proverbs as being the instrument through which Yahweh acted as the creator. The same themes appear in the prologue. God's personified word became flesh in the human Jesus, and this personified word was the instrument through which God acted as the creator. Third, we observed in the intertestamental book of Sirach, which was deeply indebted to the influence of Proverbs, that Lady Wisdom continued to be heavily personified, especially in Sirach chapter 24. Moreover, we saw that Sirach chapter 50 depicted an actual human being from history, the high priest Simon. In Sirach's portrayal of Simon, it used multiple descriptions formerly used of Lady Wisdom in Sirach chapter 24, thus painting Simon the High Priest as wisdom who became flesh. However, there was absolutely no evidence that Sirach wanted his readers to conclude that Simon consciously pre-existed his birth as wisdom. Again, we can see similar themes in the prologue of the fourth gospel. God's attribute, his word, is personified heavily, and the word becomes flesh into a human male, specifically into the male Jesus Christ. Just as Sirach stated that wisdom made her tent among God's people, John 1.14 says that the word made his tent among God's people. Throughout the Gospel of John, this man Jesus is depicted with dozens of phrases and words formerly used of Lady Wisdom. Lastly, we observe that Philo, the first century Jewish philosopher, showed evidence that the understanding of God's wisdom as a personified female was held deeply in the decades prior to the writing of the fourth gospel. For Philo, Wisdom was a female figure through whom God created all things. 
Philo also regarded wisdom as having become flesh in Sarah, the wife of the famous patriarch Abraham. However, Sarah is never portrayed in Philo as consciously pre-existing her birth. The same themes appear in the prologue of John's Gospel. God created the world through his personified attribute, God's Word. And this personified Word became flesh in a human being, Jesus. In fact, the human Jesus continues to act as God's Word throughout the Gospel of John, just as Sarah continues to function as God's wisdom throughout the writings of Philo. In sum, John 1.14 must be read in light of the Jewish context, specifically the context where God's personified wisdom becomes embodied into faithful human beings. For the Gospel of John, God's wisdom or God's word are now to be definitively found in the man Jesus. Join us next week as we continue to look at John 1.14 and situate it within its Jewish context. Thank you so much for listening to us at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks take care.